joke around how long that is to uh, take to go live. Uh, welcome to uh, our Monday edition of Leadership Redefined. Uh, welcome, Anthony. Welcome, Rich. Good morning. Hello. Hopefully everyone had a great weekend, kicking it with, with the, the two, now three of, of my good friends and colleagues. Uh, we have here today, we have uh, Dr. Nicole Galante, uh, and uh, we're thrilled to have her. Um, I've known her for a, a little bit of time now. She's a good friend of mine, but also uh, an incredible uh, female leader, which we love to have uh, female leaders on the show. Uh, so, Nicole, you want to do a quick intro, and then we'll have a conversation about your leadership style, some of the pro uh, projects you're involved in, some of the really exciting projects you're involved in, with, and uh, we'll have a conversation from there. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. It's really nice to be here with you today. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk to such wonderful leaders and role models as you all, and especially because you're way older than I am. I really look up to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> All joking aside, it's really, thank you for asking me on the show. Um, I'm really happy to be here. So I am at Stony Brook University, uh, where I work with Al in, in many ways, um, through our Center for Teaching and Learning and Community, through the School of Professional Development at Stony Brook. So the center is um, founded on the idea that we need to engage different communities and audiences in K-12 education around a common goal, which is to provide equity and access to rigorous education for as many students as we can. So um, we started the center uh, in 2020, which, you know. Who is, knew? Right? Who knew? <laughs> yeah, very 2020. Um, but of, and, and in 2020 fashion, you know, we had planned a slow rollout. Um, I was given the opportunity after directing the English teacher education program at Stony Brook for a number of years, I was given the opportunity to move into the School of Professional Development in this capacity and have the opportunity under Pat Malone in the School of Professional Development to be a little bit entrepreneurial, which is something I love to do. I have a, um, a couple of education consulting companies. Um, we have a, a lesson planning software that um, my partner and I created and have been using in schools for some time. So I was really grateful for the opportunity at Stony Brook to be able to bring this vision for a center for communities around K-12 education to Stony Brook and I'm still grateful for it, even though 2020 stepped in and we had to roll it out in kind of a different way. So um, we had planned a wonderful, slow, beautiful grand opening rollout for July of 2020 and um, instead had a rushed and uh, really kind of frenetic, but exciting and invigorating opening online in um, April of 2020. So um, one of the pillars of the center is professional development among others, outreach and, and partnership with schools, with parents, with communities, um, professional development for leaders and teachers in the schools, um, a future teachers program for students in schools, in K-12 schools, and um, an educational technology piece that again, we had really great visions of, and we still do, of opening uh, classrooms of the future on campus at Stony Brook that, that people can bring their students to where we're we're not only using and putting in the students' hands educational technology, but we're also working on developing it at Stony Brook as a research one STEM institution. You know, we I saw a gap there. So we have really great plans for expansion in the future, but we started with focusing on professional development. 
which is what was sorely needed, obviously, um, as the whole country and world shifted to remote teaching and learning. Um, and Al, you know, you were a part of some of our greatest workshops that we were able to offer during the pandemic. And Rich, you were as well for our leaders. Um, so we, we offered 220 different workshops at the beginning of the pandemic in April of 2020. And we had 3,500 registrations in the first month. And um, thanks to you and people like you, I really, you know, just put the call out and we had some really awesome, valiant, um, like-minded colleagues who donated their time to give these free workshops to teachers on, on many different things. And we consider that a, a really great success and we're still doing it. So Nicole, one of the things and, and that response for everybody's listening, the response to the need uh, with what happened with COVID by you and the people that sort of jumped in and were able to help you was almost immediate, right? It was within a week or so. And it's a testament to you, uh, your relationship with people, your leadership style. Uh, but as, as, as a leader, what, it, like, what would you say is uh, your uh, leadership style overall? Like what, what drives you as a leader? What are you passionate about uh, overall? Um, what drives me as a leader and what I'm passionate about in every area of my life is relationship. And I'm really passionate about empathy and vulnerability and the way that I build those through cultivating and nurturing relationships. Um, I would say that that's most definitely something I strive to do as a leader, but certainly as a, a person, as a mother, as a, as a wife, as a friend. Um, I think that the idea of relationship as the foundation of any organization is, could sum up my leadership style for sure. And is that, is that impact? I know it is impacted uh, being a female leader. Um, like how does that shape you in a different way? Like as far as um, uh, your overall leadership style, how has it shaped you? I know you talked about a role model that you had before we got on, but how has, how has uh, being a female leader been shaped one way or the other, as far as your style, as far as how you look at things overall in, as a leadership, leadership role in leadership role? I definitely have had some really great female mentors as um, that have shaped who I am as a leader throughout my time and career um, up to, and, and certainly including Pat Malone from Stony Brook. She's a really fierce, passionate, um, hands-on, energetic kind of leader. Um, she juggles more than I've ever imagined. But I think that that, that is something that I've, allowed to develop throughout my the different stages of my career as a leader and just as a, a person engaged in different worlds. So in my educational consulting company, which is um, shared space professional development, uh, my brother is my partner. So he and I, um, and he's, he's wonderfully, you know, qualified and certainly um, a male counterpart to who I am. Uh, so I've, I've been able to, again, model what I do based on relationships. And certainly that comes from my relationship with him. So I've been lucky enough to have kind of a, a safe space to, to try out different leadership styles and to be kind of different people in different spaces. So in a business setting, I'm a very different leader than in an educational setting. Um, 
I, I certainly take from my time as a classroom teacher of high school and of um, a, as a professor of college students and graduate students. Um, so I would think that being a female is something and a female leader, it's, I have embraced everything that that implies and means. So where some might see, oh, you know, you, you are a mother. So obviously you're going to have to fight against that working mother, you know, stereotype and the fact that someone's going to look at you and if they know you have children are going to immediately assume that your head is in, in four different places because you're with your children. And that's just a mother's brain and a mother's way. And, a, and I've, I've never fought against any of those stereotypes. And that's a really personal choice for everyone. But for me, it was, yep, my brain is most definitely first and foremost on my son. Um, my brain is also big enough to be with you. So now that that's out of the way, can we, you know, so I, I definitely address those and face those head on. Um, and I'm sure, you know, all, almost all of you in here have seen my son on our Zooms before. So you know that that's true. Um, but in, in many ways, you know, I think that it's just having the perspective to take the things that are, are typically associated as with the negative aspects of having a female as a leader and embrace those and show those and address those as positives. You know, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a nurturer. So yeah, my, my leadership style is nurturing, you know, and I think yeah, that and, it works for me. We almost, it's, it's one of those questions that we, we don't love asking because a leader is a leader is a leader and you're, you're a great person and a great leader. And it, it, it shouldn't matter or the question shouldn't have to be asked, but I think it's a fair, we like to ask it because we want to hopefully inspire those female leaders in this patriarchal society we're in that, you know, are questioning whether to do something. It's good to hear from someone who is established, who, who does have their doctorate, who is successful. And that's the rationale for those kind of questions. Not because it really shouldn't, we shouldn't have to differentiate at all, right? In a perfect society, it wouldn't be a question we ask, but we ask it because it does and hopefully will have meaning to th those females who are not getting the same kind of support or who, I, who have not grown up the way you have grown up. I appreciate the question. And I think that that's part of it. Um, I think that, you know, asking the question and being able to um, speak to that shapes who I am as a leader as well. And I think it's different at every stage of my life. Before I had my son, I was very different as a, a female engaged in all these different, you know, male dominated worlds. Um, after I became a mother, I was very different. After I, you know, just at different stages of life, you're different, you're a different person. And I think for females, it's really hard to um, be wholehearted about who you are as a person, much less as a leader. And I think that it's it's something that we should all do more. Yes, so really well said. Rich, Anthony? Anthony, you're muted, but just as an FYI. Uh, it was wonderful, Nicole. I, I, I really appreciate your your discussion about relationships, about empathy. Um, I think that, and, and when I listen to you speak, um, it reminds me of the question I always ask my students in my leadership classes. You know, is leadership um, is it is it innate? Is is it uh, or is it learned? And I think it's both. But but in your case, the one thing that that I kept thinking about was this whole concept of emotional intelligence. Um, it just, it exuded, you know, that kind of philosophy. And I think it's a philosophy that is very oh, undervalued yeah. in, in leadership. 
Um, the second thing I, I want to say is that in terms of the female leadership, and I hate to say this to be, you know, to knock males, but female leaders tend to be more, um, lend themselves more to emotional intelligence. And I think it has a great deal to do with, with the different roles that they play uh, in our society. And I think that's changing to some extent. But without that, honestly, I don't think it can be an effective leader. Uh, I agree. I, I really don't. Um, and you know what you said was really poignant and really to the point. Um, I don't know if we go on other topics, Al, or or. You no, know, go ahead. Ask, ask away. Ask away. Yeah. You know, one of the things that that I was very uh, interested in terms of hearing what you're doing with the teaching, you know, for central learning and technology, uh, and this is a question that's and a theme that we have on it. Leadership redefined quite a bit, especially since the pandemic, and you know, just we always think about what will the post-pandemic world, education world, look like. Um, and you know, I I, I want to ask you that kind of a question. You know, if you were talking to a superintendent, a K twelve superintendent, what kind of advice would you give about the post COVID world? Clearly, one that we were not prepared for. Right. Which clearly you're it's 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 a, a void that you are trying to fill um so my i've picked up some really great kind of sound bites along the way and this pandemic journey of education and i think that the one that sticks with me the most is um connection over content you know i've trained a lot of teachers during this time i've trained a lot of leaders during this time i've done everything from quick intervention you know where it's um, like in the old days where you stayed a, a page ahead in the textbook, you know, I, I would learn a technology and quick get on there and talk about it. Yeah. But I, I found that throughout everything that I'm doing, um, both through Stony Brook and through Shared Space PD, what the focus always comes back to for me, and I think it's really valuable and is the thing that makes the difference. It's the, the game changer is the um, social emotional learning aspects, the culturally responsive aspects of learning that have to come into play. We are in the post pandemic situation of education. This is it. I don't think we're ever gonna be the same whether we're all vaccinated or all you know back in person, whatever. That what we need to take out of this time is the idea that we weren't prepared, not because we didn't have technology, though that was true in many cases, we were not prepared to address the really specific and individualized gaps in emotional intelligence in social emotional learning in community engagement that we need to, to be able to do everything else. You know, a lot of times um, I think back to when I was working with student teachers as a cooperating teacher and the student teacher would inevitably come to a point where they said, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm cut out for this, you know, and they're buried under planning and paperwork. And, and I used to always say, and I still believe in many ways, um, in many more areas than just in teaching, it's all about the person. These students are people. You're dealing in a, you're dealing in a human environment. If you can get that down, everything else is paperwork and monkeys can do paperwork. Why would we need you if we, if there was, if that's all it was? You know, if, if all this job was, was making handouts or, you know, programming an iPad for a kid or figuring it out, that's not what we need teachers for. Kids can talk to their phones and get the information they need, right? So what is teaching now? And what is leading now? And, and I think that, that that applies tenfold to leaders. 
I mean, we are, we need to be in touch. So connection over content, I think is the guiding principle. Well said, well said. It seems simplistic, but it's not. No. No. Because we're not equipped. Nor is it easy. <laughs> Nor is it easy. But, uh, you know, certainly e extremely significant if, if we're going to be effective as educators and leaders. Very well said. Rich, I know you wanted to say something. I want to. That, that's fine. I, I'm going to try to synthesize the two points that you asked about, Anthony. I may not, I'm not so sure how successful I'm going to be. Um, I have a so good feeling. Right. Thank you. There's nurturing right there. Uh, <laughs> and so. In fact, I want to go to the nurture word before I go to the post-COVID word, but I think they, they clearly hook together. Uh, the, the, I'm going to call it a competency, but I'm not sure that's the right word for it. The competency of nurturing is a component of creativity. You can't be creative if people aren't willing to be, uh, who, who, people aren't nurtured to be creative, somehow allowed to be creative. And it's, uh, we have a model we call it the collective mindset model. A component of that is, I think we call it design thinking, or I'm pretty sure we call it design thinking. I can't remember right now. But the short story behind that is, I don't like that word because that word is a buzzword. Design thinking is a, is, is a word that you hear every five minutes, especially in the corporate world. But even among uh, uh, ed education, to some extent, uh, you can't nurture leadership. You can't nurture problem solving unless you indicate that you're open to it, you're willing to hear it. And there are a lot of leaders who, who have you know, their way or the highway. I don't think it's a gender thing. I think it's whoever they, however they fancy themselves. And one thing I've been kind of impressed with, with you particularly and with uh, Pat Malone too, is your um, openness. That's, I don't like that word either, but your openness, your willingness, your receptiveness to uh, creativity to lateral thinking to thinking i hate this word too that gets out of the box because covid to come back to that has forced us to be creative uh, i like the connection between creativity and nurturing because again and i think design thinking although it's a buzzword is um an appropriate one because all we can do is create the conditions for the desired result, right? So if you think it, about it in terms of design thinking in that way, when we're trying to nurture somebody into creativity, into safety, you know, it's a lot of emotional, it's a lot to do again with empathy, because you're going to have to know, you know, what this person is going to need to feel these things, right? And then it's a lot about vulnerability, because a lot of it is modeling and saying, I'm willing to do this. There's nothing, there's never going to be a bar that you're going to reach where you wouldn't have seen me reach it first. You know, it's um, one of the things that I do, here's a little leadership secret, feel free to use it. Um, I do a lot, and maybe it's too much, but I do a lot of karaoke with people because karaoke is the moment where you're taking something that is like a mentor text, right? You have the guidelines of what this great song, you know, yeah. I don't know. Um, let's just say paradise by the dashboard light, right? The meatloaf song. Uh, and you know what it sounds like. And you're maybe gonna try to make it sound that way too, but under extreme conditions, you're nervous. You're not a singer. You're, you know, all of these different things that are gonna come into play and have to come up. And, you know, so that is for me, the pinnacle of not only empathy because we're, we're thinking about 
um, a transaction in that moment of, okay, I also need to think about environmental concerns. Is this a beginning of the night song? Is this a easing it? Is this a Margaritaville that we're easing into the night? Or is this a Pat Benatar, you know, heart wrenching? What do we, I need to do to connect with this particular audience? So there's the element of, you know, reading a room there, right? So, and when I say I do a lot of karaoke, I don't mean figuratively or metaphorically where we're talking about it like this. I mean to say um, the quickest way to train anybody in a leadership, excuse me, position is to have, take them to karaoke. You know, we need to think about all these different elements, but it's in the same way, the constriction of that, that, okay, here's your list of songs. You need to pick a song. You need to figure out how you're going to make it. That's allowing the space for creativity that I think sometimes is um, more safe with those boundaries and limitations than saying, oh, well, you can just, you know, it's a blank slate, go do what you need to do. You know, no, you have the structures in place here. You have your song list, you have your, you know, guidelines, you have, it's a limited amount of time. You have to make these decisions. And I think it's a really good, you know, metaphor for those who want to use it as a metaphor, but also a literal great activity to do to um, experience leadership and creativity in, in that way. And it parallels, it really does parallel, um, yes, teaching education and, and what we're sort of forced into, but specifically COVID. Um, and what happened yeah. with COVID. I mean, we talked about nurturing, we talked about creativity. Well, uh, we had to be creative as an institution overnight with COVID. Yeah. And without that nurturing, and, and in essence, you know, with the, with the center and offering all of those workshops, that was in, in a way nurturing, right? It was calming people, it was giving them the tools that they needed that they didn't already have, whether they should have or should not have, right? Uh, so it's very much parallels and symbolizes what happened during COVID. And in, in some ways, what's still happening with, uh, we're still uncertain how this is going to look next year, right? We don't know if it's, uh, there's going to be an online component, if there's going to be all face-to-face, we don't know. Uh, so uh, I want to I want to uh, wrap up, Nicole, uh, with you. Um, and hopefully you'll come on again, because uh, I knew you would be an amazing guest, but you <laughs> were, were amazing. So thank you for coming on. So I want to give um, uh, Rich, Anthony, a quick opportunity to close out. And then, Nicole, you'll have the, uh, uh, the final thought. I just want to say that so it's, it's just refreshing to hear your points of view, Nicole. I'm not surprised by them. I love those metaphors at the end. I, uh, I just, I just I sent a chat message to Nicole saying there's a there's – a, Anthony's and I'm going to say that I'm going to usually say there's a dissertation in that, but since we all have our dissertations done, I just said, <laughs> please don't give me another dissertation. <laughs> there's an article in what you said. There really. is an article in what I said, and um, mostly as it pertains to writing. So with my colleague at Stony Brook in the writing department, Peter Coast, um, he and I have done a lot of research around that and have presented at um, the Four C's conference, uh, which is basically a writing conference for colleges. And we've done a lot of work around it, really serious academic work, I promise, and a lot of research. So um, please look for that if you want, if you want to read more. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow, actually. Are we talking tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Anthony, if I, I just, you know, I just want to say that um, uh, I, I wish you the best of luck with with your endeavors, and and what I love about them is that they fly in the face of so many of the culturally embedded um, beliefs and assumptions about school, schooling, teaching, the relationships in schools that need to be um, they need to be, I hate to use the word purged. 
think we, you know, that is, that is the, 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 the biggest goal. I mean, so much of what you said is exactly what we need, particularly in the K-12 schools. Uh, it wouldn't be, it's not going to be an easy, easy haul, but um, the fact that, that you are able to, and you were talking before about how many people that you've been working with just since July um, can only benefit and, and help to, to establish, I hate to use this word too, a paradigm shift in our schools. I hope so. I hope so. We're also doing some really great work and Al's involved in it as well um, with the state around rethinking education in New York state. So that's great. I hope that we'll have an opportunity to be able to shift the paradigm a little bit. And, you know, in the spirit of Sir Ken Robinson, may he rest, um, you know, we do need to have a purge. We, we gotta, we, it could not be clearer what we need to be doing and how we need to be um, going about it. And that starts with, and I don't mean that we all need to switch to remote learning or make sure that we are ready to have no snow days or something. I mean, we need to attend to the human beings of the, in the process of education, the end, Absolutely. you know, that's it. Um, as far as our, our um, environment in which we do that, you know, that's, if we don't recognize that that's changing anyway, then where are we, where are we? So I will leave you with one of my favorite things to say, um, stolen things to say from a uh, <laughs> prolific person. Uh, Thomas Newkirk, a writing teacher, once said, if a doctor from 1900 walked into a hospital, he would be stunned by the changes. And if a teacher from 1900 walked into a classroom, she would start teaching. So exactly. I think that Very that well really said. sums up you know, what we need to be thinking about in terms of environment. Um, dear, but dear. when you really think through that quote, you know, it's, it's certainly poignant in when we think about technology and the changes to our environments. But the, the thing is, 1900 or 2021, it's we're still talking about doctors and teachers. You know, we're still talking about the humans in the process. So exactly. Good. Well said. Thank cool. you so much, Nicole. Nicole. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so many uh, little uh, tidbits that we'll take out and. uh um, well, There'll be a blog post on this as well that we'll, we'll have, and you can look for that. Share, share, share. Uh, remember, um, uh, uh, we, could, we could put the links for your, uh, your, we didn't talk a lot about it, maybe next time, but your entrepreneurship role, uh, Shared Space PD, we'll put it, we could put a link in for that as well um, as a link to some of the, the center and some of the things you're doing at Stony Brook. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great talk, guys. Thanks for show. having me. Thank you very right. much. Thank Thanks you. So